Welcome to Washington Today on C-SPAN Radio for Friday, March 3rd, 2023. Some U.S. House Democrats not pleased that President Biden has decided to sign into law a bill that would strike down changes to the District of Columbia Criminal Code. We'll get the White House reaction to the charges. The president is undermining Washington, D.C. sovereignty, an issue that he has promoted in the past. Republican presidential contender Nikki Haley tells the crowd at CPAC, the Conservative Political Action Conference, We've lost the popular vote in seven of the last eight presidential elections. Our cause is right, but we have failed to win the confidence of a majority of Americans. That ends now. If you're tired of losing, then put your trust in a new generation. If you want to win, not just as a party, but as a country, then stand with me. Also speaking today at CPAC, Mike Pompeo, former Secretary of State and possible presidential candidate in 2024. President Biden meeting with the German Chancellor Olaf Scholz at the White House in the Oval Office, talking about aiding Ukraine against Russia's invasion, also U.S. and European policy towards China. And an African-American Vietnam War veteran receives the Medal of Honor for Bravery almost 60 years after he was first recommended for it following a 1965 battle because the U.S. Army says it lost the paperwork twice. The story from CNN, President Joe Biden's decision to allow Congress to potentially nix reforms to the criminal code of Washington, D.C., has left him facing criticism from his own party as he prepares to launch his reelection campaign. The move to promise to sign the GOP-led legislation reflects a rising desire among more moderate Democratic lawmakers to avoid being seen as soft on crime, especially in the wake of Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot's surprise primary loss earlier this week. That was from CNN. Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Democrat from New York, tweeting, This ain't it. D.C. has a right to govern itself like any other state or municipality. If the president supports D.C. statehood, he should govern like it. Plenty of places pass laws the president may disagree with. He should respect the people's government of D.C. just as he does elsewhere. And a story at TheHill.com has this paragraph. The White House effed this up royally, one House Democrat told The Hill via text message, noting the White House issued a statement of administration policy opposing resolution and backing D.C. And that House Democratic leadership told lawmakers that President Biden was prepared to veto the measure. The White House Press Secretary, Karine Jean-Pierre, getting more questions from reporters about this at her briefing. I wanted to ask about the D.C. crime Criminal code, again, um, we're, we've been hearing that some of the House Democrats feel like they got thrown under the bus a little bit uh, by the president's decision not to step in on the um, effort to stop the overhaul, which is a lot of negatives, I understand. But I think you know where I'm going. Um, so I wanted to know, you know, did the president give them a heads up on the decision? Was there any sort of back and forth about it? Um, so first, let me just say that the White House notified um, the um, uh, notified the members at the House retreat, as you know, uh, back that was uh, earlier this week, or is still happening in Baltimore. Uh, so that's number one. Number two, I do want to lay out that uh, the president and the administration has a very close relationship uh, with House Democrats and Senate <laughs> Democrats as well. Uh, we have worked together. The president has worked very well uh, with the members on delivering bold, um, historic pieces of legislation in his first two years of an administration uh, and is very proud of the relationship that he has with them. And our teams are constantly in communication with them. 
Uh, and so I'll leave that there. This is a very strong, important relationship for all of us here, including the president. Uh, I, I also want to state that, look, the president supports D.C. statehood. That is something that you saw in his SAP for this particular uh, D.C. crime bill. Uh, and uh, if Congress sends him a bill making a D.C. state, he'll always, always be sure to sign it because he's been, talk he's been talking about that for the last uh, two decades. Uh, but, you know, vetoing the bill headed to this, his desk now won't make, make D.C. Uh, a state. And so those are the things that the president is really in, has been very clear about uh, when it comes to D.C. and their statehood. And so I'll leave it there. But as it relates to the House, uh, as it relates to Senate Democrats, it is a very important relationship to, for us and, and clearly very important. And, and with the Senate uh, Democratic Caucus, as you know, when he met with them um, yesterday, he provided uh, what he was going to do and made it very clear to them, and they had that discussion. Um, I just also want to ask, so, you know, Biden and the Democrats have talked a lot about the need to stem, you know, rising crime, but also the need to reform a criminal justice system that still disproportionately affects you know, black Americans. So why not engage in some sort of compromise or why not let the DC bill, because you know, the mayor mm -hmm. uh, vetoed the criminal code, but she also proposed some changes that she thought would have made the system sort of better on the whole. So just want to be very clear here. And uh, if you look at the, the DC bill itself, and I know that um, there was a little bit of, of I was asked a, a couple of questions of uh, what else does it do besides armed carjacking? And I don't normally go line by line on, on legislation, especially legislation that we haven't introduced. Uh, but I did talk to the team, and we have a couple of things that I just want to lay out for all of you. And on what the DC bill does, it reduces maximum penalties uh, for offenses like murders and other homicides, armed, armed home invasion burglaries, armed, armed carjackings, as I mentioned, armed robberies, unlawful gun possession, and some uh, sexual assault offenses. And so, look, the president has been very clear. We need to do more to reduce crime, to make communities uh, safer, to save lives. And that's why he put together, he put forth his Safer uh, America plan that does just that that we believe does exactly that. So the way that we see this bill, it doesn't actually reform policing practices. That's not something that it does. Reform like the ones the president has put forward at the federal level. You know about the executive order when uh, it couldn't be done on the uh, Senate side, making, doing, uh, moving forward with police reform. The president put forth a historic piece, uh, uh, a piece of an executive order to get to, to try to do what we can at the federal level. And so we believe that this bill does not actually do that. White House Press Secretary Corinne Jean-Pierre. Senator Chuck Grassley, Republican from Iowa, tweeting today, keeping communities safe is not up for negotiation. D.C.'s reckless policies are soft on crime and they endanger Americans. Senator Schumer should hold a vote on the bill reversing D.C.'s soft on crime law ASAP. President Biden willing to sign public safety must be top priority. Congresswoman Eleanor Holmes Norton, the delegate from the District of Columbia, a Democrat, tweeted Thursday when the president made his decision known, today has been a sad day for D.C. home rule and D.C. residents' right to self-governance, but a powerful argument in favor of D.C. statehood. And Washington, D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser, also a Democrat, reacted Thursday night at the monthly meeting of the D.C. Democratic Party held at a school in the city. 
after a, a tough day for democracy in Washington, D.C. Uh, and it is a reminder to all of us that we are subject to the whims of the Congress until we become the 51st state. I've said earlier that limited home rule is an indignity in itself. Uh, I learned while I was mayor, one thing that practical thing that I didn't know almost until the very moment that the then President Trump's chief of staff called us to tell us he wanted to take over our police department. But that's what the Home Rule Charter allows. We learned when our own ability to fund uh, abortion care for these low-income DC residents has been blocked for years and years because of riders put on by the Congress. But that's what the Home Rule Charter allows. Uh, and today, uh, we also are reminded that the legislative process in the District of Columbia doesn't end when the council votes, or I sign a bill, or I veto a bill. It ends at the Congress and ultimately with the President of the United States. That's the indignity of limited home rule. There is but one way to change it, and that is to become the 51st state. Yes. Washington, D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser Thursday night at the monthly meeting of the D.C. Democratic Party responding to President Biden's tweet on Thursday, I support D.C. statehood and home rule, but I don't support some of the changes D.C. Council has put forward over the mayor's objections, such as lowering penalties for carjackings. If the Senate votes to overturn what the D.C. Council did, I'll sign it. The Senate could vote as early as next week on this bill to block the D.C. criminal code revisions. The U.S. House passed it last month with 173 Democrats voting no. Republican presidential candidate Nikki Haley, one of the speakers today at CPAC, a conservative political action conference being held at National Harbor in Maryland, CPAC is an annual gathering of conservative political activists held yearly since 1974 and over the years has been a testing ground for Republican presidential hopefuls. Today, Nikki Haley talking about why she is running and one of her proposals that has gotten a lot of attention, requiring politicians over the age of 75 to take mental competency tests. The liberal media's heads are exploding about my run for president. And we all know why. The media can't stand the fact that I'm a conservative. Think about it. I'm a woman, I'm a minority, and I'm the daughter of immigrants. I am proof that liberals are wrong about everything they say about America. When I launched my campaign, I said every politician over 75 years old should be required to take a mental competency test. Have you seen DC lately? We should start with Joe Biden, and we shouldn't stop there. Now, Don Lemon <laughs> didn't seem to like that too much. He claimed, I'm not in my prime, in which I responded, hold my beer. <laughs> I'm 51, that's younger than Don Lemon. It's also younger than Hunter Biden, and it's 30 years younger than Joe Biden. 
But Don says women have to be in their 20s or 30s to be in their prime. And the left say we're sexist. Liberals are the most sexist by far. For the record, I was right. Every politician and judge should have to take a competency test. If you want to start at age 50, I'm good with that too. I didn't say the same for sexist middle-aged anchors, but Don Lemon proved CNN should probably consider that as well. Liberals attack me because they don't like who I am or what I say. I'm running for president to stop America's downward spiral toward socialism and end the self-loathing that has taken over our country. I'm running for president to renew an America that's strong and proud, not weak and woke. When I look to the future, I see our country rededicated to freedom and opportunity. But when I look at the present, I see the total opposite. Joe Biden and the Democrats are giving us oppression, poverty, and lawlessness. This is not the America that called to my parents 50 years ago. And make no mistake, this is not the America I'm going to leave to my children. Nikki Haley, Republican presidential candidate and former South Carolina governor, also former U.S. ambassador to the United Nations and the Trump administration, today at CPAC, Conservative Political Action Conference. Another speaker today, potential Republican presidential candidate, Mike Pompeo, former CIA director and secretary of state under President Trump and a former member of Congress from Kansas. He talked about the early days of the COVID-19 pandemic, the pushback he got on his speculation about the origins of the virus and what the Biden administration said about that this week. I'm not one for vindication, but this week it was good to see the Department of Energy finally conclude that the damn virus came from the lab in Wuhan. I, uh, I, I, I frankly, I, I nearly lost my job. I, I nearly lost my job as Secretary of State for publicly ripping into China over what happened this COVID virus that they foisted on the entire world, killing millions and affecting every life in this room for years and years. You know, I, I, I contradicted the official American line that had been in place for 40 years. People who said, boy, Xi Jinping's doing a good job. I was frankly, I was told to shut the heck up. But we should never shut the heck up when we're defending the United States of America and its people. It was wrong to praise the Chinese Communist Party when I went on TV in March of 20, seems like a long time ago, three years, and said, I think this virus came from the laboratory. It was called racist and worse. But the data was as clear then as it is today. And it's not that particular instance, but the idea of protecting America by speaking the truth that matters most. Because these challenges, they're great, they're real. I make no bones about it. But we've all faced similar challenges before. We're not pansies here in America. We're pretty tough people. And I'm convinced you are every bit as tough as those folks who came before us. They fought for a war for independence. They fought in World War II, the Cold War. We took down the evil empire. We took down the radical left in the 60s when they were trying to begin the change that we see now back being foisted here at home. Former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo a possible Republican presidential candidate today at CPAC, Conservative Political Action Conference.
being held in National Harbor, Maryland. Former President Donald Trump, who is a declared candidate for the 2024 Republican presidential nomination, will be closing out the conference with a speech on Saturday. That's scheduled to begin 5.25 p.m. Eastern. You can watch it live on C-SPAN television or on the C-SPAN Now app and at cspan.org. And here on C-SPAN Radio, we will replay former President Trump's speech to CPAC Sunday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern. Donald Trump Jr. spoke at the CPAC meeting today. At one point, there was a Willy Wonka moment. He asked the audience to look under their seats, and if they find a golden chocolate bar, they were lucky winners of VIP tickets to a reception with former President Trump on Saturday. Quite a few Republican members of the U.S. House and Senate have been giving speeches at CPAC. Today, Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene, Republican from Georgia, said she'll be introducing legislation to make gender-affirming care for transgender youth a felony. And these victims come in thinking they're going to find happiness and they're going to find security in their identity because they think they can change their gender. These boys think they can become girls. These girls think they can become boys. But you want to know what's happening to them? They're they're given puberty blockers. They're fast-tracked, given them puberty blockers that actually chemically castrates them, makes them sterile. They're given testosterone to girls as young as 11, 12, 13 years old, that within four to five years, some of them are having to have hysterectomies because of the damage it does inside of them. There are teenage girls having their breasts cut off. That is a permanent, permanent damage to their body. They'll never be able to breastfeed their baby. And there there are boys that are having their penises turned inside out. These are kids. So last Congress, I did something radical and extreme. Because remember, Marjorie Taylor Greene, she's so extreme. (laughs) I introduced a bill called the Protect Children's Innocence Act. Protect Children's Innocence Act. And let me tell you my great news this morning, ladies and gentlemen. It couldn't pass last Congress because, like I said, Nancy Pelosi was the Speaker of the House, and she doesn't believe in gender at all. But we have a new Speaker in our Republican majority in the House of Representatives. And I'm going to be introducing my bill, the Protect Children's Innocence Act, that will make it a felony to perform anything to do with gender-affirming care on children. Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene, Republican from Georgia, at CPAC. A USA Today article about this year's CPAC has this. Not at the conference, former Vice President Mike Pence, South Carolina Senator Tim Scott, and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, all potential 2024 presidential candidates, Other Republicans skipping the conference also include Republican National Committee Chair Ronna McDaniel, House Majority Leader Kevin McCarthy, Republican from California, Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin, and Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, Republican from Kentucky. Washington Today continues in a moment. Welcome back to Washington Today, which you can get as a podcast wherever you get your podcasts and on the C-SPAN Now mobile app. The story from Reuters, U.S. President Joe Biden and German Chancellor Olaf Scholz held talks on Friday focused largely on the war in Ukraine, China, 
and other matters amid signs of strains between the transatlantic partners. Sitting next to Olaf Scholz in the Oval Office, Joe Biden thanked the German leader for profound support on Ukraine. And Olaf Scholz said it was important to send the message that the support will continue as long as it takes and as long as is necessary. President Biden hailed Olaf Scholz's decision to increase military spending and had worked in lockstep with the U.S. and other allies to support Ukraine. The United States announced a new package of military assistance for Ukraine, totaling $400 million as the two met. That reporting from Reuters. The two leaders making some remarks to the media in the Oval Office. Well, Chancellor, welcome back to the Oval Office. Welcome back to the White House. Olaf, we've uh, done a lot changes since the last year you were here. Matter of fact, if I'm not mistaken, you were here in February of 2022, uh, and Russia was amassing its troops, uh, 185,000 troops on the Ukrainian border. And uh, we made it clear that if he moved, we would both respond. And together we made good in that promise. That, uh, and I want to thank you, Olaf, for your strong and steady leadership. And I mean that sincerely. It's made a world of difference. And uh, together, we made good on our promise. You've stepped up to provide critical military support. And, you know, I would argue that beyond your military support, the moral support you gave to the Ukrainians has been profound. It's been profound. And you've driven historic changes at home. And, uh, you know, uh, increasing defense spending and uh, diversifying away from Russian energy sources. I know that's not been easy, but very difficult for you. Together, we work lockstep to supply critical security assistance to Ukraine. And uh, from everything from what we've done in lockstep, ammunition, artillery, armored tanks, air defense systems, and we've been together throughout this. You help Ukraine meet its basic needs like food, health, heating. And uh, you continue to give them, put, maintain the pressure on Putin. And uh, it is undercutting his ability to fight this war. And uh, so uh, as NATO allies, uh, we're making the alliance stronger and more capable. You've heard me say before that uh, when I talked to Putin a couple months before that, I told him that uh, we're more likely to get the, not the, uh, the NATOization, uh, excuse me, the finalization of Europe, which he was pushing for, more like we get the NATOization of Europe. And uh, he's had that effect in terms of um, what, what's happened. So uh, a lot's happened since last year. We've got a lot to talk about, and I look forward to our conversation. Thank you for having me again. And I really appreciate to be back in the White House. And uh, let me just say this is a very, very important year because of the very dangerous threat to peace that comes from Russia invading Ukraine. And it's really important that we acted together, that we organized our lockstep, and that we made it feasible that we can give the necessary support to Ukraine during all this time. And at this time, I think it is very important that we give the message that we will continue to do so as long as it takes and as long as it is necessary and that we are ready also for staying with the Ukrainians as it, as long as it is necessary. And I really appreciate the very good cooperation between the two of us, our governments and the United States, Germany and Europe. 
and the transatlantic partnership is really in a very good shape today and this is very much thanks to your leadership so i'm really happy to be here and to talk with you i'm glad to talk about you thank you President Joe Biden and German Chancellor Olaf Scholz in the White House Oval Office. Associated Press with some details on the $400 million aid package from the U.S. to Ukraine announced today, saying it for the first time includes armored vehicles that can launch bridges, allowing troops to cross rivers or other gaps as Russian and Ukrainian forces remain entrenched on opposite sides of the Dnieper River. Another AP story today. A court on Friday sentenced Belarus's top human rights advocate and one of the winners of the 2022 Nobel Peace Prize to 10 years in prison. The harsh punishment for Alice Bialatsky and three of his colleagues came in response to massive protests over a 2020 election that gave authoritarian President Alexander Lukashenko a new term in office. Lukashenko is a longtime ally of Russian President Vladimir Putin, who has backed Putin's invasion of Ukraine. U.S. Senator Chris Coons, Democrat from Delaware, tweeting, I strongly condemn the unjust imprisonment of Alice Bialansky, a Belarusian pro-democracy activist, Nobel Peace Prize laureate, and call for his immediate release. These bogus charges are nothing more than an attempt to stifle his work to advance human rights. The exiled opposition leader from Belarus, Sviolana Tikhanatskaya, put out this video. Today, Three of our heroes in Belarus were sentenced to long prison terms in a shameful mockery of a trial. One of them, Alice Belyatsky, received the Nobel Peace Prize in December last year for his lifelong efforts to defend human rights. I was honored to be present in Oslo as his wife, Natalia Pinchuk, accepted the prize. Alice, who founded the human rights organization Visna, was sentenced to 10 years in prison. Valentin Stefanovich, who is also the vice chairman of the International Federation for Human Rights, was sentenced to nine years. Vladimir Lapkovich, lawyer for Visna, received seven years. Together, they represent everything that the regime of dictator Lukashenko hates. They represent the truth. They represent democracy and freedom. They represent the protection of the individual's rights against the repression of the state. Sviatlana Tikhanitskaya is an opposition leader in Belarus, currently in exile. A video about today's sentencing of the three activists to long prison sentences, including one who recently was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize. U.S. and South Korean militaries will be holding their largest joint military exercises on the Korean Peninsula in five years. That announcement today that the 11 days of drills called Freedom Shield will start March 13th on land, sea, and in the air. North Korea 
has threatened, quote, unprecedentedly persistent and strong counter actions if the U.S. and South carried out the joint military exercises in the past, North Korea has responded by test-firing ballistic missiles in that region. This is Washington Today. President Biden awarding the Medal of Honor, the nation's highest military award for valor, to retired Army Colonel Paris Davis. A Pentagon summary of the award says that on June 17, 1965, Paris Davis led a team of four Green Berets and South Vietnamese volunteers against hundreds of North Vietnamese forces near Bang San, Vietnam. Paris Davis is being honored for rescuing his men despite injuries from grenade fragments that he had sustained in a nearly 19-hour battle that pushed back the enemy. Today's ceremony was in the White House East Room. 158 years ago today, in, the White, in this White House, President Lincoln was putting the final touches on his second inaugural address. And he wrote, let us strive to finish the work we're in to bind up the nation's wounds and care for him who shall have borne the battle. Today, 58 years after he bore the battle, we honor a true hero of our nation, Colonel Paris Davis. I've had a chance to get to talk to him a little bit. We talked on the phone, and he doesn't know, but we're going to talk a lot more. (laughs) Incredible guy. The Medal of Honor, created during Lincoln's presidency, is our country's highest military award, recognizing gallantry above and beyond the call of duty. That word gallantry, it's not much used these days, gallantry. But I can think of no better word to describe Paris to describe you, I really can't. Gallantry. And everyone here feels exactly the same way. That includes Secretary Austin and Secretary McDonough and Secretary of the Army Warmoth and the Vice Chairman Grady and General McConville, Representative Byer. Where's Representative Byer? Thank you. Thank you for pushing this a little bit. Appreciate it. For joining us today. President Biden at the White House. He also spoke about Paris Davis's upbringing and service coming as the U.S. was moving from segregation to integration during the Civil Rights Movement. Paris Davis was one of the first black special forces officers in U.S. history. Volunteering to serve a country that in many places still refused to serve people who looked like him. Right away, it was clear that Paris was a born warrior. He became an Army Ranger. Then he jumped at the chance to join the Green Berets, becoming one of the nation's first black Special Forces officers. Paris liked the Green Berets because uh, they were elite. It wasn't just as Paris once said, Joe here, Joe there. By the way, it didn't offend me you said Joe here, Joe there. <laughs> you know what I mean? that, that, that didn't bother me. But, but the Green Berets, like our country then, weren't free from discrimination either. People pull Paris aside to warn him. Are you sure you want to join? There aren't a lot of people like you look like you in this outfit. Well, remember, this was only 14 years after President Truman desegregated our military, only 14 years later. But Paris didn't listen to them, and thank God he didn't. Paris helped write the history of our nation. And this year, we celebrate the 75th anniversary of our first fully integrated armed forces and name Paris Davis will still stand alongside the nation's pioneering heroes.
President Biden at the White House. Medal of Honor ceremony for retired Army Colonel Paris Davis, who now lives in Alexandria, Virginia. And a story about the award in the Alexandria Gazette packet has this. At the end of the battle, Paris Davis was recommended for the Medal of Honor by one of the men he had rescued that day. That 1965 nomination package was lost by the Army, as was a subsequent nomination made in 1969. Paris Davis was eventually awarded a Silver Star, the third highest military combat medal. But members of his team, many who have suggested that race was a factor in the handling of his nomination, persisted in their push to have Paris Davis recognized for his bravery with the Medal of Honor. And it was not until 2021 that then-acting Secretary of Defense Christopher Miller ordered an expedited review of the lost nomination, and that led to today's award. Medal of Honor is given for conspicuous gallantry and intrepidity at the risk of life above and beyond the call of duty. There have been about 3,500 medals given since the creation in 1861. Today is National Anthem Day. On March 3, 1931, President Herbert Hoover signed a congressional resolution officially making the Star-Spangled Banner the national anthem of the United States of America. C-SPAN recently interviewed the author of the book, Oh Say Can You Hear, a cultural biography of the Star-Spangled Banner. University of Michigan professor Mark Clegg, who explains why the song was an unofficial anthem long before it was made official. He wrote it in 1814. What year did it become officially the national anthem? Well, this is interesting. I mean, officially it became the national anthem on March 3rd, 1931. But unofficially, or at least within American cultural practice, it becomes the national anthem, I think, via destiny, if you will, on July 4th, 1861, which is the 4th of July at the beginning of the U.S. Civil War, the moment when by law the number of stars on the flag, and I have the, the 1814 flag here in the background, um, but the number of stars is supposed to be adjusted to match the number of states. And so um, Lincoln, the, the federal government, does not recognize the states that have seceded as as having left the Union, and so the number of stars on the, the flag stay the same. And at that moment, the flag, um, Star-Spangled Banner, becomes the sacred symbol of Union, and the song, the Star-Spangled Banner, becomes the rallying cry of the Union forces. And so I think it's at that moment the sacrifices of, of literally the lives of, of soldiers, you know, fighting in this country to end slavery and preserve the Union is what makes the song sacred to us. So the song was was used by people as the national anthem and referred to as the national hymn or the national anthem as early as the 1830s, 100 years before it officially became the anthem. So really the government just... Congress and President Hoover, who signed the bill, were sort of coming late to the party, if you will, and and recognizing something that was already true in American cultural practice, um, officially in American law. Mark Clegg, University of Michigan musicology and American culture professor and author of the book about the national anthem titled, Oh Say Can You Hear, part of a one-hour interview from C-SPAN series Q&A. You can find the full program at cspan.org. Congresswoman Debbie Lesko, Republican from Arizona, tweeting, Today is National Anthem Day. Let us commemorate the adoption of the Star-Spangled Banner as our national anthem. Our national anthem underscores America's strength and ability to persevere, and it should unite us all. Wall Street today, the Dow up 387, S&P up 64, NASDAQ up 226. 
Thanks for listening to Washington Today. Sign up for C-SPAN's evening newsletter, Word for Word, to get the stories Washington is talking about sent to your inbox every day. You can subscribe at c-span.org forward slash connect. Have a good night and weekend.